All right, well, uh, if, if I don't know you yet, my name is Dane. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the great privilege of overseeing our, all of our family ministries at the church that we've talked about a lot uh, today. And um, I want to share a word with you. We're going to talk about flourishing families this morning. Um, but when you hear that word flourish, flourishing, what is the image that comes to mind for you? You don't have to share it out loud, but just think, or the words that come to mind when you think of what it means to flourish, to be flourishing. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Joe talked about what it means to, to flourish. He, he walked us through Psalm 1, the very first psalm, uh, where it says, Blessed, blessed is the man who's not walking around with the wicked. You know, he's not standing around with sinners. You're not going to find him sitting around with cynical scoffers. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 says, whose delight is in the law, whose delight is in the Torah, the teaching of God, the instructions of God. And the, the Torah, God's words, are on this man's heart. They're rolling around in his mind. He's meditating on God's words day and night. Do you know what meditate means? It means to to chew on, to think about, to turn over in your mind. Um, And so this is someone who uh, has God's word in their heart, and it says that this man is like a tree planted by a stream of water. There's the biblical image for flourishing. A tree planted by a stream of water bearing fruit in season. Good seasons, bad seasons, bearing fruit because it's nourished by the water, right? Its leaf does not wither. So as this person gets to know God's word, God's story, and begins to understand their place, their story within God's story, they begin to see the world differently and see God differently and see their neighbor differently, and they begin to grow and to bear fruit. They flourish. So to be blessed in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply, right? God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. To to be blessed is to be fruitful, to be abundant, to flourish. Um, So, when I say these two words to you now, what's your image? Flourishing family. A flourishing family. What comes to mind? 2.5 kids, white picket fence, you know, a dog. Uh, Maybe it's like six or seven kids, practice every night, you thrive, you flourish in chaos, that's that's your image. Or maybe you're a dink, you know what a dink is? Dual income, no kids. (laughs) Maybe that's your image of like, oh, that's flourishing right there, you know, do whatever we want. Um, Or maybe it's you, Netflix, and your cat, you know, and you're like... That's a blessed night. I'm flourishing, okay? Uh, We all have different images of what it means to flourish um, in our guts, in our minds. And I I guess that if you talked to an ancient Israelite, so step in a time machine, learn Hebrew, travel back 3,000 years and ask an ancient Israelite, what's a flourishing family? Well, if they meditated on God's word, they would take you back to the Psalms. Fast forward a bit to Psalm 127 
in Psalm 128. So you can turn there. We'll also have them up here on the screen. So we'll start with part one, Psalm 127, the uh, Old Testament images of a flourishing family. And Psalm 127 starts like this. Unless the Lord, Yahweh, God, builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, work for no reason. It's meaningless. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain for no purpose. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So the psalmist invites us to picture a construction worker, a builder, and a security guard, a watchman. And he says, unless the Lord is doing the building, unless the Lord is also watching, your work is fruitless. It's pointless. And then he speaks to all of us who are grinding, you know, burning the midnight oil, imagining one day, if we just succeed, we will find that elusive thing called rest and satisfaction and fulfillment in our work. Um, But, you know, he says, it's all in vain without God's Work. Without God's work, you'll never find rest because rest is a gift. It's a gift that's there all along the way, even in the grind. So then we get to this verse 3 to 5, the rest of the psalm. It's a short psalm. It says, Behold, just look, contemplate, consider, think. Look, look at children. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So children are the fruit of the womb. Okay? Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children's of one's youth. Who knew archery was going to come up two sermons in a row? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, so like arrows. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with arrow children. Okay? He, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What? <laughs> so We read this and we're like, is is this a total gear shift? You know, we were talking about work. Why are we talking about kids? Well, it does take some work to make kids. (laughs) Okay? It's enjoyable work. All right? (laughs) But you got to move around a little bit. Okay? Like, there's some work involved. Um, But that's kind of a joke. Okay? That's the point. Uh, Thank you for laughing more than first service. First service was just like this. You know, um... (laughs) We, we build houses, we watch over the city, we arrive home from work exhausted or exhausted from the day with the kids, whatever it is, but the rewards, the house, the city, and the sleep, the rest, are from God as much as we work. And if you are slow and still miss the illustration, we get the best, he gives us a picture of the best kind of work and the best kind of reward. Men and women work together, but the rewards, the fruit, the kids are from God. And he says, blessed, flourishing is the man who fills his quiver with kids. Why? Why is this man so blessed? 
Well, he says he's blessed when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. <laughs> so here's the first picture we have of a flourishing family in Israel. This is a man in his 50s or 60s, but he's been pumping out kids since like his early 20s. And he's got like seven sons and they're like his, you know, bodyguards around him, okay? And his, you know, daughters are out in the parking lot slashing the tires on the chariot, okay? Like you don't mess with that guy. That guy is blessed, okay? It's kind of funny, right? All right, but that's not all. Then we get to part two, Psalm 128. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So notice again the connection between blessedness and fruitfulness and flourishing. Uh, recall, or maybe learn for the first time, that in ancient Israel, every man of each tribe was allotted a plot of land. And they were promised, right, so part of the promised land, that if they were to walk in the fear of the Lord, if they were to walk faithfully, then this land that they were given would be fruitful. They would produce fruit for their families and their neighbors and even the poor and sojourners and refugees would have enough food to eat if they walked in faithfulness. So being flourishing is about abundance and it's about being life-giving. But that's not all that bears fruit. In the flourishing family, he goes on, verses 3 to 6, the end of the psalm. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, like a grapevine. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. He just explodes in blessing. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So now we've moved from the gate in Psalm 127. And we've moved to the table in 128. And the blessed man here, his wife, is like a vine loaded down with, with grapes. Um, and, you know, wine symbolizing a heart that's filled with joy. And it says that his children are like little shoots coming off an olive tree. Now, I, I hate olives, but I love kids, so this metaphor doesn't really work for me. Uh, but I don't think Israelites were allowed to, to hate olives. Um, An olive shoot... What did that mean? It's filled with vitality and promise, right? It promises olives and olive oil for years to come. And so now, when we imagine a flourishing family, we're imagining a young family around the dinner table of abundance. But then quickly we fast forward to what we might call the ultimate picture of a flourishing person, is living out your days during times of peace and prosperity in the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, and getting to see your grandchildren, your children's children. Like that preached, you know? A gray hair is the crown of the age. That's what you're going for. You get to see your children's children. You are blessed. You are flourishing. There's nothing more that you can ask for. Some of you are like, amen, okay, you know? Um, But... 
Over the next thousand years or so in Israel, some notable things happen uh, that challenge this sort of simple picture of a flourishing family, right? Uh, Jerusalem, the city of peace, gets sacked and burned to the ground by the Babylonians. Uh, Righteous men who fear the Lord, can we name one? Job, (laughs) who walked in his ways, experience unimaginable suffering, even losing their wives and their olive shoots, you know, losing their children. And so this causes a pause and some wise men and women of God to, some prophets to, to pause and to rethink and to expand upon, well, what does it mean then to be blessed? And we fast forward again and we get to Jesus. And Jesus at first seems to just like throw out Israel's image of a flourishing family altogether. And one historical reason that we ought to remember is that Jesus lived in the time of Roman occupation, and so no one in Israel really owned their land, right? And so Jesus uh, blessed the poor and the hungry and the persecuted and the widows, and he identified deeply with them. And he said, whoa, to those who, whose life looked like it was flourishing like, because they were profiting on this situation of oppression. But then he went so far... <laughs> as to say this, that if you want to follow me, in Luke 14, he says, you must hate your own father and your mother and your wife and your children. Yes, even your own life. What? (laughs) What? Right? And then remember what Paul says. He says, you know, in fact, I think it's better to not even be married and be like me so you can be very fruitful for the kingdom of God. Where does flourishing families fit in, into this? Well, the point that, that Jesus was making is that your family, or your family, especially in a traditional culture, your family is your identity. You are to be loyal. Your allegiance is owed to your family, or you are to be faithful to your family, and rightfully so to a certain extent. But Jesus makes very clear that allegiance to Jesus comes first. So as many were in that day, if if truly, after much prayer and discernment, there's a choice between family and Jesus, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus so solidly that it's like hatred, right? Choose Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Not a choice between church ministry and Jesus, okay? Not, not, uh, or church ministry and family, Okay, not a choice between family and like a a dynamic spiritual leader. Okay, family and Jesus. Choose Jesus. And And in fact, the family that puts loyalty to their image of family, idol of family above Jesus, winds up with neither. And thus, Jesus' ministry was so shocking to his people that he even had to clarify, look, I didn't come to bring peace. I didn't come to bring shalom. I came to bring a sword to divide a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I don't imagine he needed a lot of help with that one. Uh, And his mother and his brothers, he said, were the ones who did the will of God. No mere man could or ever should say something like that. 
But now let's fast forward again. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He rises from the grave. He ascends to the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit and the church is born. Amen? But something starts to happen. In Acts, whole households are baptized into the family of Jesus. And disciples, they get married and they do what they do. They start to have babies. And so something new, something wonderful is on the world scene, the Christian family, the Christian household. This is a brand new thing. So questions come up. What does it mean for a family to follow Jesus together? Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified, in John 15, before he died. By this, my Father is glorified, that you, that's us, bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. It is God's will that we flourish, that we bear fruit. So how does a family do this together? How does a family commit to bearing fruit in good seasons and bad seasons to flourishing together as we follow Jesus together? And this, I think, is the appropriate context for some of the last books of the Bible. Uh, Books like Letters from Paul to the Ephesians or the Colossians, where he speaks directly to every member of the household. And he first addresses wives, then he addresses husbands, then children, uh, then fathers, then even slaves and masters who are a part of the household, part of the family, um, typically in that order. And he gives each of them instructions instructions so that they will flourish and that their homes will become places of love, which would be strange, a place of joy, a place of peace, a place of patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Some of you I know have this story where you grew up in a non-Christian family and you were exposed like through a friend of yours, you were invited into a family like that and you were like, what is this? <laughs> like, it's palpable, right? Um, and this is what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is reigning and ruling in a family, we're to bear this fruit. You're to see these sorts of things. This is a fruitful family, a life-giving family that's blessing their neighbors, a flourishing family family. And so let's fast forward again uh, now to early 2020. Uh, There had been a growing burden upon the leadership of the church that we were to increase our investment in families as integral to our mission, making, maturing, and mobilizing apprentices of Jesus. Like if it's not happening in family life, it's just not happening. That's where we spend so much of our time. Um, So not only at that time were we working on a a capital campaign called Building for Family, uh, where where we were going to replace our old portables, very outdated portables, with a building for our children, for uh, our disability ministry. We're going to do work on the youth building. Um, But at that time, too, God was laying it on my heart to transition to a new role, uh, that of family pastor, which honestly, guys, I rejected or resisted for years because it just didn't sound cool, <laughs> okay? And I thought, my, I thought of myself as very cool, but the Lord has worked on that, okay? So now I'm embracing it wholeheartedly, family pastor. Um, and we organized our various departments into a team, the FAM team, 
family apprenticeship ministry, and we were in dreaming mode in late 2019, early 2020. Uh, We learned that kids spend an average of 40 hours a year in amazing ministries like we saw a video of earlier, and they spend an average of 3,000 hours with their parents at home, and that was pre-COVID. Post-COVID, it's about 3 million, I think the number is. uh, (laughs) uh, And we just had this question, like, what if we invest more in the 3,000? What if instead of uh, just, you know, asking parents to partner with us in our ministry, what if we saw ourselves as partners, as supporters with you, parents, in your ministry as you embrace your responsibility for not only the, the nurture of your family, but the spiritual development of your kids and, and what if families went from where we are, which is committed, we have wonderfully committed families, committed but honestly sometimes coasting. What if we went from committed but coasting to flourishing, to flourishing? What if, what if we saw making, maturing, and mobilizing become the mission statement of every family in our church? And what if there was family worship happening, reading, praying, and singing, taking place in VCC homes every day of the week. And as we were on the verge of launching this campaign, taking our first steps in this direction of flourishing families in March of 2020, (laughs) uh, and the crazy part was, guys, like just as we were asking this question, What would we need to do and change in order to inspire and equip and encourage one another to make family worship at home a a part of our daily lives? Suddenly there was no other option, right? We were all stuck at home and it was wild and we went from dreaming about thriving to surviving. Uh, But of course, necessity is the mother of invention, right, uh, or in innovation. And so some really neat, cool things happened during that time, as well as a bunch of behind-the-scenes work that, uh, by God's grace, I believe will shape our church for decades to come. Um, but here's the, the, the big picture, big image, okay? This is from the Puritan Jonathan Edwards. Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. And what do churches do, first and foremost? Why do we exist? To worship God, right? In spirit and in truth, we gather weekly, duh, to worship God. And so families are little churches that gather daily for worship in good seasons and in bad, to help each other grow in faith and manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which the Bible says has been poured out on all families. And I think when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, if you think about the fruit of the Spirit, if you're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, we often, we naturally think of it in individualistic terms, you know? Like if I walk by the Spirit in faith, I will become a more loving, joyful, and peaceful person. And that's wonderfully true. But I think it's more to Paul's point and more tangible uh, to say that in the community of the Spirit, in the church, and in every Christian family that is seeking to walk by faith and live by faith, what are you going to see? Countless acts of mercy and love. 
and agape love. You're going to see in that space, in that place, you're going to see smiles. You're going to see laughter because there's joy present in that place. These places are to be spaces where people are learning to treat each other patiently and kindly and gently, not provoking one another. These are to be places and spaces where vows are kept faithfully. There are to be places where parents are not volatile and controlled by substances, but are doing the work to be self-controlled. That is a flourishing family. That is a family that is a faithful witness to the overwhelming, amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said it memorably and bluntly. Uh, This has stuck with me for years. He says, when Christians are revived, they live more consistently They make their homes more holy and more happy. And this leads the ungodly to envy them and to inquire after their secret. Their secret to love, to joy, and to peace. May it be so. May it be so. Okay, now, whenever this responsibility to lead the family to flourishing, you know, to to pass down the faith from one generation to the next. Who is explicitly addressed and called out? You can say it. What? Fathers. Fathers are specifically addressed and called out. Um, Now, uh, we haven't talked a lot about this, and some of you, I mean, instantly, that makes uncomfortable when we talk about that. And so, we got to talk about it. Um, uh, But I do want to say, first and foremost, there, there are plenty of counterexamples. Like Timothy, for example, it was his mother and his grandmother who taught him the word because that was not an option with his his father. Um, But I think there are at least three reasons why men are specifically, fathers are specifically given this charge to teach the word and to lead the family. And one is obvious, it's patriarchy. Okay, we're talking about ancient Israel and Greco-Roman households, okay? They wouldn't have batted an eye at that, right? Where many of us in a non-patriarchal setting, we, we absolutely would bat an eye, right? But they wouldn't. That's the first, that's the obvious reason. But there's two more reasons, at least. The second one is passivity. Uh, the, the first man we meet in the Bible, and most men we meet in life, are passive. There's a reason why the very first story in Scripture is of a man who stands idly by as the serpent destroys his family and doesn't step on its head, okay? But instead, when the family is ripped apart through shame, who does he blame? His wife, and he blames God for giving (laughs) his wife. That's not just passive, that's quite passive-aggressive, actually. Um, So that's the first one, passivity. But the third one is this, provocation. Some dads have the opposite problem of passivity. So Paul explicitly says to fathers, fathers, this is in Ephesians, do not provoke your children to anger as you go about this. Is anger a fruit of the spirit or a fruit of the flesh? It's fruit of the flesh, right? You can go about family worship, family discipleship in a way that produces the spirit of or the the works of the flesh. That ought to give us pause, okay? And he says in um, Colossians, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And he goes on 
And he says, do not provoke your children to anger in Ephesians, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. See, Paul knows you cannot force faith. You cannot force the Holy Spirit on someone. So our role is to be gentle, is to be patient, but faithfully be a servant like Jesus was. That's what it means to lead. And personally, it's int- I think the reason the one group Paul doesn't address, which is mothers, is because he doesn't have to. That's what I personally think. But he really had to bring up this issue of being domineering with men in, this, in his context in Greco-Roman households. So bearing all of this in mind, whether we're in a patriarchal setting or, or not, okay, it is, it is good. It's good for everyone. It's for the families flourishing. It's good for men, for men to be aware of their tendency, either to passivity or to provocation, and to take responsibility for that. And to take responsibility for patiently, gently, but faithfully leading their family spiritually. And even the word leading, some of you are like, uh, Noah Chu gave me a great book a few weeks ago called Portrait of a Father by Chip Ingram. And I loved how he said it in that book. Leaders make it happen. That's, That's all it means. Leaders, they create the space. Okay, so if leading brings up this idea of like domineering, Jesus and Paul both explicitly speak against that. That's not what leadership means. That's what, that's bringing in the world's definition, okay? So let me give you an an analogy of how leaders make the space. Um, My wife, Brittany, wanted to grow vegetables. Uh, Now, for us suburban and, and city folk, you can't just put like seeds in the lawn and hope for the best, okay? It doesn't work that way. You have to create a very specific space. What's the specific space? A planter box, right? You got to make a planter box. Um, And so I uh, eventually (laughs) went and I bought some, some lumber and some soil and I made planter boxes. These are my, this is one of my planter boxes. I know, Yours is better. Okay, don't clap. No, it looks bad, okay? Uh, I've seen, like, pictures of other people. They have, like, seats and stuff. It's like, whatever. This is our summer planter box, by the way. You should see our winter garden. It flourishes, okay? But I I thought this was an appropriate image for where we are in uh, in this vision. Now, was Brittany perfectly capable of doing this herself? Yes. Yes. If you said no, we got to talk after, okay? Yes, perfectly capable, okay? Um, Actually, Brittany's going to talk to you after. That's the real truth. Uh, So perfectly capable, of course, but I learned that it was good for me to take enough responsibility to be invested in it with her. And men, it will be good. It will be joy for you to take the lead in making that space making that space. And and I want to be clear, I'm not just talking to young dads here, okay? I'm talking to students who are thinking about their future. I'm talking to 78-year-old empty nesters. There is something for each of us to do in this season to create a space for God to move wherever it is that we live. We have a specific responsibility in this season, and we will all be called to to make an account for our lives. Elders have a higher responsibility to make an account for what they've done with this space, this family. As fathers, we will be called to give an account. But I want to say, like, Psalm 127, when you lean into that work, it's a joy. It's fun. It's rewarding. It's good. 
So, in closing, if, if this is brand new to you, that you are called to sacrificially lead as a servant, a little church that is called your family, into family worship and bearing fruit, and you didn't attend the first family discipleship class, we got another one coming in fall, um, I'm not even calling on you to do anything yet, to try anything yet except pray. I, I, I just want to share with you today where we're going long term, where we're investing, and I want to ask that you begin to ask God for wisdom, for grace, for strength, for this responsibility. And I want to tell you that he is with you in that. He's with you in that. Your family, according to scripture, is not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your wife is not your own. Your children are not your own. Your grandkids are not your own. They're called to belong to Jesus. Your family bears his name, and you are but his servant that is called to bless them with your words and with your presence. And frankly, there's a lot of beating up of guys that happens in churches, and we're not going to go that route. We're going to pick blessing over beating, okay? I want to say to you, man, we can do this. The Holy Spirit is with us. We can bear fruit in good seasons and bad seasons. Even in this season, we can flourish. And wherever you are today, it's not too late to begin making a space for God to work and to build a positive legacy for your kids, for your grandkids, for anyone you're discipling, anyone you're working with. It's not too late. I love this quote from Hudson Taylor uh, to close us. God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. It's the missionary Hudson Taylor. God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. When we show up for our families, God will show up for us. When we lean into the calling that is on our lives, he will work within us with his powerful spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as Ephesians says, you are the father from whom every family on earth is named. We belong to you. And you are able to strengthen our hearts for whatever you have called us to in this next season, for whatever that next right thing you have called us to step into. You strengthen us by helping us to see how deep, how wide, how great your love is. The love that surpasses all understanding. So Lord Jesus, I pray that this would not be a guilt message, a shame message, but an invitation to believe how great your love is for us and how you will be with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us as we step into the calling that is on our lives. So God, for those who are discouraged, depressed, anxious today, Lord, and um, all of us are more stressed, all of us, than we were two years ago, God. And so we need you. We need you. And help us to believe that the way forward is not in hiding in shame, but the way forward is through confession, through stepping forward, through repentance, through asking for your grace and committing to do it one day at a time and to be faithful with what you have given us. So we love you. I pray your heart would be encouraged and filled with joy at our worship this morning. Amen.